You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, thanks for downloading the third episode of our Civil War podcast. I'm Rich. And I'm Tracy. Hello y'all, welcome to the podcast. Previously on the podcast, we started to show how the issue of slavery and the question of its expansion into new territory had played a major role in shaping and defining the American political landscape, even from the earliest days of our country's history. We ended the last episode in the year 1819 with Missouri's petition to join the Union as a slave state and why that set off alarm bells in the North. And so we want to start this show by returning to that point and talking about the Missouri Compromise of 1820. As we said before, Missouri's petition to join the Union as a slave state set off alarm bells in the North for a couple of reasons. Reason the first. It would upset the political balance of power in Congress between the country's 11 slave states and 11 free states. Reason the second. If Missouri were to become the country's northernmost slave state, it would seem to disregard the precedent set by the Northwest Ordinance, which banned slavery in the lands that lay north of the line of the Ohio River. And so for those reasons, many northern congressmen felt it was time to take a stand against the expansion of slavery. In an attempt to defuse the growing crisis and strike a compromise of sorts, in 1819, a congressman from New York named James Talmadge tried to add an anti-slavery amendment to the Missouri Statehood Bill. While conceding the admission of Missouri as a slave state, the Talmadge Amendment stipulated that slavery was then to be phased out of the state over the next generation. Talmadge's proposal absolutely infuriated the Southern Congressional delegations. Representative Thomas W. Cobb of Georgia declared that the amendment contained, quote, effects destructive of the peace and harmony of the Union, end quote. Well, despite the protests of their southern colleagues, the large northern majority in the House of Representatives accepted the amendment. But in the Senate, where slave and free states were evenly balanced, the amendment was rejected. By the way, While there was an even split between slave and free states in the Senate, in reality, the slave states most always held an advantage in the upper house, since they could most always count on a few northern senators to vote with the South. Those northern politicians with southern sympathies were called doe faces. The next year, in 1820, the House once again voted for the Missouri Statehood Bill, with the Talmadge Amendment attached to it, but then it again failed in the Senate. Southerners ranted, saying the amendment was an unconstitutional, dastardly ploy on the part of Northerners to restrict the expansion of slavery. 
Northerners argued for the right of Congress to legislate on the question of slavery in the territories. On the floor of the House, Thomas Cobb angrily declared, If you persist, the Union will be dissolved. You have kindled a fire which all the waters of the ocean cannot put out, which seas of blood can only extinguish. In reply, James Talmadge shouted, Let it come. I guess that was the 19th century equivalent of bring it on. But anyway, so with Congress thus gridlocked and the crisis over Missouri getting ugly, the Speaker of the House, Henry Clay of Kentucky, stepped up to the plate with the first of several compromises that he'd put forth over the course of his long congressional career. From the border state of Kentucky, Clay was a slave owner himself, but he nevertheless regarded slavery as an evil that conflicted with the American ideals of liberty and the rights of man. Like not a few other slave owners, Clay disapproved of the institution itself, but he found it impossible to resolve the practical, real-world consequences of emancipation. Nevertheless, he'd still worked diligently, but without success, trying to convince his fellow Kentuckians to change their state constitution and provide for gradual emancipation. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Clay was also a founder and leader of the American Colonization Society, which encouraged the immigration of free blacks to colonies outside the continental United States. In the most well-known example of this effort, the society settled American blacks in West Africa in what would become the nation of Liberia. While those who founded it did so with the best of intentions, the society's membership eventually included both abolitionists from the North who wanted to end slavery and slave owners who wanted to deport free blacks to reduce their influence in America. Despite his personal views about slavery, Clay opposed the Talmadge Amendment he thought it violated the Constitution, which safeguarded the property of all citizens. Clay believed the amendment would deprive Missourians of their slave property, and therefore it was at odds with the Constitution. In his book, At the Edge of the Precipice, historian Robert V. Remini gives us this picture of Henry Clay in 1820. 
Presiding over the House of Representatives during this crisis, Clay behaved not as a director of legislative traffic, as previous speakers had done, but as the controlling hand in the managing business of the House. He was a man of commanding grace, which compensated for the fact that he was a singularly unattractive-looking man. He had a high forehead, a protruding nose, small blue eyes, and a wide mouth that looked like a long slash across his face. But when he spoke, he could be electrifying. His enthusiasm and total involvement in what he was saying and his frequent flights of oratory mesmerized his audience. At times, his six-foot frame seemed to move in concert with the words he spoke. End quote. Even though he was only 42 years old at the time of the crisis over Missouri, Henry Clay was already an experienced politician. He was born in 1777 in Hanover County, Virginia. He was the seventh of nine children of Reverend John Clay and Elizabeth Hudson Clay. John Clay died when Henry was four years old. At the time of his death, Reverend Clay owned 22 slaves. In his will, he left Henry and his brothers two slaves each. Henry's mother remarried, and Henry's stepfather took an active interest in promoting the young man's future. It was because of his stepfather's influence that Henry read for the law under George Wythe, Chancellor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. In November 1797, Clay relocated to Lexington, Kentucky. After beginning his law career there, Henry Clay married Lucretia Hart in April 1799 at the Hart home in Lexington. And just as an aside, when I was at school in Kentucky, I attended an Episcopal church in downtown Lexington. And inside the sanctuary, on the wall above a pew near the front, there was a plaque that said something to the effect of Henry Clay worshipped here. And so being a history geek, of course, I had to make sure that I sat in that pew at least once. But anyway, um, in 1803... Clay was elected to serve in the Kentucky General Assembly, and his abilities were quickly recognized, so much so that in 1806, the Kentucky legislature chose Clay to go to the U.S. Senate and fill out the term of a senator who had resigned. And then in 1810, he was again sent to Washington to replace another senator who had resigned. So, in the summer of 1811, when he was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, In recognition of his already distinguished service in Congress, he was chosen Speaker of the House on the first day of his first session, something never done before or since. During the Missouri crisis, Clay was deeply distressed at the uproar caused by the Talmadge Amendment. He told a close friend, The words civil war and disunion are uttered almost without emotion. And so against that backdrop of ominous threats of civil war and disunion, in 1820, as Speaker of the House, Clay attempted to put together a compromise that would end the crisis over Missouri. Under the terms of that compromise, Missouri would enter the Union as a slave state, and the Northern District of Massachusetts would enter as the new free state of Maine, thus maintaining the political balance of power in the Senate between slave states and free states. In addition to the bill admitting Missouri and Maine to the Union, which solved the political issue at stake, the geographic question was addressed by an amendment to the bill which would ban slavery above a line drawn at 36 degrees 30 minutes north latitude, which was essentially the southern boundary of Missouri. 
So aside from Missouri itself, that 3630 line would be extended all the way across the remainder of the territory acquired in the Louisiana Purchase. All lands south of that line would be open to slavery, while all lands north of it would be forever closed to slavery. Southerners supported the amendment, even though the lands north of the 3630 line were more extensive than those south of it, since it was a widely held belief back in those days that persons of African descent, and therefore the institution of slavery, couldn't thrive in those northerly regions. The compromise that Clay brokered provided the glad result of satisfying both northerners and southerners, while at the same time forcing each side to make a concession. What became known as the Compromise of 1820 passed both houses of Congress, and then President James Monroe, who had worked behind the scenes in support of the Compromise, signed the measure on March 6, 1820. Maine was admitted to the Union as a free state on March 15, 1820, and then Missouri, after a bit of a hiccup in the writing of its state constitution, entered the Union as a slave state on August 10, 1821. Although the Compromise of 1820 diffused the immediate crisis over the extension of slavery, and the terms of the Compromise came to be viewed by the majority of Americans as almost wholly writ, in the end, it proved unworkable. Probably the most famous commentary on the Missouri Crisis came from the 77-year-old Thomas Jefferson. He said, This momentous question, like a fire bell in the night, awakened and filled me with terror. I considered it at once as the knell of the Union. It is hushed, indeed, for the moment, but this is a reprieve only, not a final sentence. I regret that I am now to die in the belief that the useless sacrifice of themselves by the generation of 1776 to acquire self-government and happiness for their country is to be thrown away by the unwise and unworthy passions of their sons, and that my only consolation is to be that I live not to weep over it. Indeed, as we'll see farther down the road in the podcast, rather than settling the issue once and for all, the question of the expansion of slavery into new Western territories will occur again after the war with Mexico, and Congress will be forced to take up the divisive issue once more. And although yet another compromise will be struck in 1850, the whole matter of slavery in the territories will remain the most important political issue in the nation until the Civil War. So here's the takeaway from what we've discussed in this episode, that throughout this entire period, as the issue of slavery continued to shape and define the widening sectional rift between North and South, America was, to borrow a phrase from historian Maury Klein, a country of contradictions, a whole that was somehow more than the sum of its parts, and whose parts did not seem quite to make a whole. That means it's time for this episode's book recommendation. And our recommendation this time is The Missouri Compromise and Its Aftermath, Slavery and the Meaning of America by Robert Pierce Forbes. The inside flap of this book says that the author goes behind the scenes of the crucial Missouri Compromise, the most important sectional crisis before the Civil War to reveal the high-level deal-making, diplomacy, and deception that diffused the crisis. So, very dramatic stuff, deal-making, diplomacy, and deception. 
mean, what more can you ask for? That's the Missouri Compromise and its Aftermath by Robert Pierce Forbes. And just a reminder that you can find all of our book recommendations on the podcast website, which is www.civilwarpodcast.blogspot.com. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Civil War, 1861 to 1865, a history podcast. We hope you'll join us again for episode number four. But until then, take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.